0: Welcome to PCA One-on-One Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. Welcome everyone to PCA One-on-One podcast. I'm Jason Sachs, PCA's National Director of Business Development. Joining us today is Troy Vincent. Uh, Troy is the NFL's Executive Vice President for Football Operations. He had a 15-year career playing for the Miami Dolphins, Philadelphia Eagles, Buffalo Bills in Washington. Troy was a five-time pro Bowler and three-time all-pro member. He was also named the Walter Payton Man of the Year in 2002. Uh, that's just a brief introduction, and we'll get into more, a, few, a few more specifics of Troy's career uh, throughout our conversation today. But Troy, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So let's start with um you know your you, you know when you first started uh playing sports and your youth sports playing experience. Uh did you play multiple sports as a child and when did you start really focusing just on football?
1: Yes, I did. Uh just growing up, uh, I thought it, I was a what well, thought I was a a a track star I thought I was going to be the next um Carl Lewis was my favorite track athlete growing up. Carl being a New Jerseyan. I wanted to be in Carl Lewis in track. I wanted to be, or dreams, I had aspirations of being uh, Bobby Jones. I don't know that name may sound familiar, but he was a yeah. famous Philadelphia 76ers. 76ers. Bobby <laughs> Jones, and at times I wanted to be a gentleman by the name of Andrew Tony. So um, he also was a 76ers. Some days I grew up I wanted to be Bobby. The next day I wanted to be Andrew Tony. And then on the football side, I was a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Uh, John Stallworth and Lynn Swan um, were those uh, individuals in the, in the sport of football that, you know, always imagined myself or visualizing myself being them. So I was a three sport athlete, I ran track, played basketball, and then football. And
0: when did you play all three sports in high school, or did you just start focusing on football in high school?
1: No, no, actually, um, I actually only played one year. Of high school, ran one year high school track, basketball, and football. Because I moved from Jersey to Pennsylvania during that that window of being a sophomore and a junior. And it didn't allow me to be eligible my junior year. So literally, it was just a one year. I was all rec ball that I was playing. And then my senior year, I ran track play basketball and
0: football. Wow. That's pretty impressive there. And so when did you – what were some of the things that obviously going on to uh, Wisconsin to play football, which we'll get to in a second, but what were some of the things that you took from, you know, the sport of basketball and playing basketball, you know, in high school? What were some things that you took that then, you know, helped you in, in the game of football?
1: Well, I would say, you know, just sport in general. But as we speak specifically about basketball and being a three-sport athlete, there are values and experiences, what I would say. Teamwork, drive, determination, uh, resiliency, you know, focus. Um, but basketball, it's a team sport. Many say that it's its not. But I, I still believe that basketball is still a true team sport, and we've seen that just in this this last NBA Finals. Um, You had one great player on one side um, and arguably the best assembled team on the other. The team overcame in a seven-game series winning. So I took from basketball, resiliency, teamwork, leadership, determination.
0: All great life lessons there. And um, speaking of some of those life lessons that you learned, you grew up in Trenton, New Jersey. Um, and I know your grandfather, Jefferson Vincent, played a major role in raising you as well as other kids, uh, in your neighborhood. Can you tell us a little bit about the effect that he had on you as a child as well as some of the things that have resonated with you, um, now as a father yourself?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, my, my, my grandfather, who I actually call dad, uh, my, bio, my biological father left when I was two. Um, and, you know, my, my grandfather was a veteran, a World War II vet. And really, he raised me on the principles of the military. It was leadership, integrity, always talked about it, talked about honor and respecting people, even people who may differ um, on opinions, uh, people that may differ from where they come from. Uh, he was a great man of faith. Um, he was just a wonderful father. He had five children of his own, and then he raised you know, 13, 14 grandkids. Um and I was his oldest. So it was it was just so it was a w it was wonderful to see. And one of the things I share with young people is I know what I can be by what I s what we see, not necessarily what we hear. And he was a man that said very little, but he led by an example. Getting up, going to work every day, respecting women providing for the family. So all of those principles, leadership, integrity, honor, respect, I saw that firsthand from my dad.
0: That's great. And he was back in, the, in your original neighborhood. Don't they have a park named after him now?
1: Yes, sir. So uh, if I remember when I was first drafted, I think the early 92, uh, Parks and Rec, the mayor, Mayor Palmer had actually came. And my father, my, my my dad was a, a civic leader. So uh, mayor holland during his time was a the mayor there but then uh Doug Palmer became mayor and one of the things they wanted to dedicate the park after myself and I didn't do anything. I didn't impact the community like my grandfather did for almost four decades. And I just felt like it was appropriate for if you're gonna name a uh, a public space, uh my grandfather walked those streets, um registered people to vote had neighborhood gardens, had town hall meetings. He organized these things for decades. For me to, for someone to want to credit me for my little small window of success in sports, um, I didn't think that was the right thing to do. And I just told the mayor, um, if you could, I I, I think my, my grandfather, if you're going to name it after myself, if you allow me to, to, to share that with my dad, um, I think it would be more meaningful to the community.
0: That's great. I'm sure um, some of the the, the lessons and uh, that he taught you had to go along with some of the things that you are really high on today about, you know, the importance of education and a college degree. Um, you know, when you were playing that one year, uh, you know, your senior year, when you were the three-sport athlete playing playing football, being recruited – um, what do you remember about the, you know, the recruiting process back then? And what was it about Wisconsin that, you know, had you end up in Madison?
1: Well, one, I would, I, I have to credit my, uh, my, my godparents, Lyndon James Bodley, uh, James is deceased. Um, that's B-O-D-L-E-Y, and my high school coach, uh, Mr. Jim Dundella, who's also deceased, because these two men, they saw something in me and. In sport that I didn't see in myself. I was a good athlete, but they guided me through not only saying Troy, okay, you can run track, you're not going to be Julius Irvin, you're not going to be six six, but you have possibly a career, for one, someone paying for your education. And if you do the right things when you get to campus, you may have the opportunity to play at that next level. So the recruiting process, I was guided through the recruiting process by two, uh, my head coach, Jim Dundella, and Mr. Mr. Bodley. So they guided me through, let's find the right fit. Let's make sure you go to a place that the culture aligns with some of your life values. And that's that's kind of how we look, because I was highly recruited. But I was one of those, diamond, what they call a diamond in the roughs, because I only played one year most considered me to have a big upside because I was just learning. And with physical maturity, raising my football IQ, I had an opportunity, if I stayed healthy, to become a pretty good college player at minimum. So uh, those are the things that Mr. Dundella, Mr. Bodley, uh, they constantly, what's the right fit? Are they graduating their student athletes? Always say that. And not only are they graduating their student athletes, let's look at are they graduating men of color? That also was important. So those things were constantly being um, fed to me and things that we were considering, myself and my mom, throughout throughout that process because it was all new to us.
0: That's great to have a pair of individuals sort of right on on your side uh, helping you through the process there. Which, which obviously, you know, you talked about being a, potentially being an average college football player there, but um, obviously you became much more than that. And in 1992, you were drafted number seventh overall by the Miami Dolphins. What do you remember from that specific day uh, when you were drafted into the NFL?
1: It was one of my more memorable experiences for for me and my family. You know, I was able to return back home and enjoy that moment with, at the time, Commissioner Tagliabue. Uh, my grandparents were able to come up with me um, here in New York and celebrate that time at the Marriott, and as soon as it was over, able to get in the car, drive back down 90, uh, down the Turnpike, and really enjoy that moment with those individuals that I grew up with, and it really became a community celebration day, uh, but it was something, without being boastful or sounding boastful, there was an expectation. Because I, I I put the work in, I put the time, I committed myself to being a student athlete, I committed myself to working hard, staying in over the summer, uh maturing physically, uh becoming a a skillful player at my position. That was the next part of the process. But it was a great day, it was a great day for my family.
0: And so tell me tell me what it was like playing for uh, Don Shula considered one of the greatest coaches of all time. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, his coaching style and philosophy?
1: Well, at that time, so Coach Shula Coach was—he was—he was, uh, picked me up from the airport. So I was drafted. He was the first person I engaged with. Him and Stu Weinstein. Um, I think Stu is still with the Dolphins, actually. Um, and Coach was just one of those. Uh, and again, they would say those were the heyday because you know you had a Hall of Fame quarterback and Dan Marino who was who was up under center. But coach just was a uh he was a teacher. He understood how to put the the, the, the to bring people together. He's one thing he used to always say is, uh y you, you know, football special, it's it's a it's a sport that galvanizes people from all different walks of life for one common goal. And he used to always talk about that. Always talk about the three the three segments of football. Very similar to Coach Alvarez at Wisconsin. There's three phases of the game. For us to win, we gotta win two of the three. But more importantly, the team that makes the least amount of mistakes, Coach Hill used to always share. Coach Alvarez saying, The team that makes the least amount of mistakes will win today. And in the National Football League with a talent level so equal, the teams that makes the least amount of mistakes are the teams that win on Sunday.
0: You talk about the least amount of mistakes, and it's a really good segue into the the next question, which, um, you know, you played cornerback, which could be considered one of the toughest positions in football. Uh, It's often said that, you know, cornerbacks have to have short memories. Um, What were things that you did specifically during a game to try and focus on that next play? if you happen to get beat on a route or something like that. But, you know, you talk about the least amount of mistakes, but how do you then bounce back from those mistakes? Because it's, you know, obviously you don't want to make mistakes, but people do make mistakes, so you need to be able to bounce back and focus on the next play. So what were some of the things that you did um, and what were maybe some of the things that coaches talked about or preached about how to bounce back from a mistake?
1: Well, I think as as a defensive back, really any pro, in particular the defensive back, because you're sometimes, you know, you're isolated. You got to have short memory. Um, and then two, be able to assess, one, if it was a mistake on why you just got beat, if you got beat. And then two, I think the, the, the proper assessment on did I get beat because of my alignment? Was it a a breakdown and I didn't know what I was doing? And then really assessing those things because – Or did he physically, did he just beat me? And I used to always say, at the time, in my heyday, you weren't going to outrun me. You weren't going to outmuscle me. For me to get beat, I had to make a mistake. So that was, again, in my heyday. Uh, And it was having short memory um, and then just saying, okay, when you go back to the sideline, what just happened? being able to assess what happened, knowing that I have to make that correction because I'm going to get tried again in that probably same formation, same route, so on and so forth, to see if I corrected that mistake.
0: You you talk about the isolation of a cornerback and people, you know, they reference it as being out there on an island. So, you know, you you are there by yourself. And a lot of times the best athletes, they, they focus on ways to motivate themselves and they could use, you know, self-talk to to push them through to the next level or fight through, you know, something bad or a mistake or fatigue. Did you use any self-talk or, you know, what were some of the things that you thought to yourself to keep yourself moving in the right direction during a tough tough stretch?
1: So for for myself uh, personally, it was always focused on the play. I can't think about what's going to happen, whether it's second down or third down. I can't think about what's going to happen in the next series. It was about that play and constantly reminding myself, be the best and win this play. Do my job. Take care of my responsibility. Don't do anybody else's responsibility, but focus on this individual play. So that was something I constantly shared with myself, my alignment, my assignment, my alignment. Where's my help? If there is any help.
0: I love the win this play. Cause I think there's so many times where, you know, athletes at all level, they can get caught up in the, everything else that's going on, you know, going on and what happened, you know, in the, in the last quarter or, you know, last series or whatever it might be, but just that focus on win this play, I think that's something that everybody can uh, take along with them. So you, you, you spent eight seasons with the Dolphins um, or after, after you with the Dolphins, you spent eight seasons with the Eagles before playing for Buffalo and Washington to close out your career. Did you see a major difference between the locker room culture from team to team that you went to and what made or what, what makes today for a really strong locker room in the, in the NFL?
1: Always veteran leadership. You know, one, one common con, uh, consistency for successful teams is we've seen the strong veteran leadership uh, there was strong leadership. When I think about my, my days in Miami, John Offerdahl, Jeff Cross, Keith Sims, Lewis Oliver, Marino, Richmond Webb. When I think about my transition over to Philadelphia, you had Ricky Waters that was there. Um, you know, you had uh, – And I know many – he was – you know, Bobby Taylor was young, Brian Dawkins, we all came in at the same time, um, William Fuller. Uh, James Willis. So good locker room veteran leadership. I think it's essential for, frankly, at any level. And when we talk about leadership, we're not talking about, you know, leaders don't have to always be vocal. People leading by an example, veterans knowing what it takes to be successful, taking care of their bodies, taking care of their, their personal lives, and really executing the plan of the coach
0: with you just mentioned a lot of different players that really help make up strong cultures. And then you just mentioned a the coach there. Does, did you see coaches that were, you know, that, that came in and said, Hey, it's my way or the highway, or was it, you know, especially from a culture standpoint, or was it something where, Hey, here's what we want to do. I'm going to get some input from the players because in order for us to re- really have a strong team culture here, there needs to be buy-in from the players. So did you see it as, players buying into what the coach was selling, or it was something where, you know, the coach would get input from players? And what do you think works better?
1: I think a combination. And obviously the head coach is your leader. And every player has to respect leadership. And every player also is motivated by winning. And winning can be contagious. And losing could be, it could be catastrophic. And when I think when you have a combination where the coaches are trusting their leadership, Knowing that the leaders in the locker room are going to execute his plan, it's not about the player's plan, it's about the coach's plan. And when the coach is getting the input from the locker room, about how people are feeling, the confidence, now there's a mutual relationship taking place. Now the players to, you know, players are, are motivated and incentivized to play for their coaches to go beyond what the coach is asking them to do because there's a trust factor there. The players know the coach cares. Most important, the the player knows that his opinion is valued.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's big. I think knowing that, you know, the last part you said there is is knowing that their opinion is valued goes a long way and and really leads to the buy-in there. Um, You know, Talking about leaders and coaches, a lot of times they depend on team captains. You mentioned a lot of the guys that you played with, but you yourself were a captain, a team captain for 13 of the 15 seasons you played. You're also a five-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro member, Walter Payton Man of the Year in 2002. Which one of those accolades really stands out as you know the, the one that you're most proud of?
1: Frankly, there's not there's not really. One that stands out. Um, I just feel like, you know, my family and I, there's just a sense of satisfaction um, with our continuous uh, body of work that we all do. And, you know, certainly, you know, playing, my playing experience on the field was, was just a great blessing. You know, off the field in the locker room in the community, you know, myself and my and my family, the platform that the Lord has provided us, um, has just just been a blessing. I I really don't. I really don't. It's, there's not one that means more than another. One locker room that meant more. One coach. I, I, we've just been truly blessed, Um and we're just we we're, we're proud. But yet we know there's a lot of work still yet to be done. Um, and and what we would consider our calling in life.
0: That's great. Well, one of, you know, PCAs uh, we consider our calling is, is, you know, developing better athletes and better people through sports. Um, And one of the ways we do that is by working with um, student athletes that are participating in sports. And we have a model that we call the triple impact competitor um, for a student athlete. And that means they're athletes who strive to make themselves better their teammates better and the game as a whole better um i think it's obvious that you know your career what you know the things you were doing on and off the field uh that you really fit into that category who were some of the other teammates um that you really saw that fit into that uh you know to fit into that model of being a triple impact competitor guys that you really leaned on and said you know this guy is really that all-around complete player that you know not only is working hard for himself to improve but is really looking out for the teammates and looking out for the good of the game of football, you know, you were involved in the players association, those types of things. So who were some of those players that you really thought were triple oh. impact competitors?
1: Oh well I would say let's just starting with my, you know, let me say my time in in Miami. No question. Um I felt like the greatest leader in the person that I wanted to um at least resemble or modify my game and my personal life was John Offerdahl, Um was a linebacker that I thought represented um, what a professional athlete should be, both on the field and off. Um, In my time in Philly, uh, uh, there was Ty Detmer, Brian Dawkins, uh, were individuals that I felt like... um, their lifestyle, their values, what they represented both on and off the field was what I wanted to embody and 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 it's how I wanted to be represented inside the football community and beyond uh, when I went to uh, to Buffalo, you know frankly, you had individuals like drew Bletso, um london Fletcher, uh to Keel spikes these men were those they were a little younger. But these were leaders. These were individuals who understood what it took to be a professional, both on and off the field. Um, their lifestyles represented that. Their passion for the game, their respect for the media, um, their commitment to their 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 their, their craft, um, all of those things were. And when I went to Washington, Ronaldo Win um, comes to mind. Um, he was the individual. With Coach Gibbs, that I just felt like embodied what the National Football League was all about. Former student athlete from Notre Dame, uh, graduate, uh, family man, uh, loved the Lord. Uh, this is what, you know, understood what it was, what our responsibility was um, as a professional athlete to the community um, that's both local and beyond. So um, those were, those were some individuals. Uh, and again, I may be uh, forgetting a few, but those were some individuals that I felt like embodied um, what I wanted to resemble um, my lifestyle um, after, as well as I felt like they represented the sport in the manner in which we want to see professional athletes represent our sidelines.
0: Well, I think your your current role definitely puts you uh, right in in the middle of of how you want. Uh, you know, professional football players to to represent the sport and and be in the community and those types of things. Um, In your current role as VP of Football Operations, uh, a recent article actually called you the NFL's punisher, as you've had to hand out uh, a bunch of punishments involving everything from, you know, Tom Brady and Gate and the Patriots to off-the-field issues with Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson and others. What would your advice to high school and youth coaches, as well as parents, as to how they can talk about talk about these things to their players um, and really use them as teachable moments.
1: Well, I, I would say I would if if it was up to me and if I had any say so in it. That that's the last title that I want to carry around um, is that of a punisher. Um, inside of my role and responsibility at the National Football League, you know, part of my my role is protecting the integrity of our game. And making sure that competitive of, uh, fairness is is being administered, you know, across the board. So, I'm not a punisher by no stretch of the imagination, but part of my role here is the overseer of our game and the integrity of our game. So, uh, that's the nature of again my my role here. Um, I also see my role and and my purpose here is is to share the values of football and what it can do, not just for people financially, but what it can do for communities, what it does for so many individuals that both participate and don't participate, but enjoy the experience of football.
0: And as you consider some of the disciplinary issues with NFL players that you've had to, you know, interact with or deal with, um, what do you think coaches or, you know, know, can do differently or, or what can, parents really talk to kids about just in regards to, you know, focusing on some of those character traits and that you, that you want to see in, in today's professional athletes, because there are a lot of, of great individuals in the NFL. Um, but then we always hear about the bad things off the field or those types of things. So, you know, what are we, what, what's the message that we can send to current high school youth college athletes about, you know, the importance of character and what the and what role does do the coaches and parents play in that?
1: Well, I think they play a significant role. You know, as as children, your greatest influences are your parents and your coaches, especially the high school coach. So, one of the things that we have to remind and we have to uh, here at the National Football League, we got to continue to celebrate and honor the high school coach, and we got to make sure that we're giving the parents the tools. Their children, our children, um, are they're one of the most distracted, uh, distracted people. Or, or kids that we've that we've seen, or generation of kids that we've we've seen there's more for them to do. but anytime we can use an example sport for social change, anytime we can we can use something that has happened in sport um, to generate conversation or discussion around character, around leadership, around perseverance, around teamwork uh, resiliency. Uh, it's good for everybody because those those values far exceed and go far beyond the playing field. But oftentimes the playing field is what generate those conversations and those experiences um, that you that stay with you for the rest of your life.
0: I'm sure you've had plenty of conversations um, with your son Troy Jr. as he's you know he currently plays football at NC State. Uh, played high school actually for one of PCA's National Advisory Board members, Joe Erman. And one of Joe's core messages is, you know, false masculinity and teaching teammates to, to love each other. Some might think that, you know, some of the, some of Joe's teachings and, and what he believes in, um, run counter culture to the game of football. Um, but how did your son embrace or react to the culture that was created at Gilman and, and are there any specific stories that you have from that?
1: Well, that's why. I mean, that's why both of my boys have uh, one has left Gilman, and one is currently there. Uh, we believe in the Gilman way of of how they do things, how they raise young men, um, how they develop young men. And I think Troy understands um, what he learned at Gilman was um, is, is what we call that um, that that personal responsibility and who you are to society is not about you; it's about others and how you treat others. So we we believe the experience at at Gilman and what it teaches um, these young men, both Troy and now in Tehran, um, it's about as always the right time to do the right thing, and that's something I share with them all the time. is always the right time to do the right thing, and I think his his three years in Tehran, you know, hopefully over the next three or four years as he as he transitions into and out of Gilman, that he takes on those same principles.
0: So you're, you're, you, as your position as a sports parent, it's a little different, you know, playing in the NFL, um, you know, there might be a little added pressure, you know, that, that your kids might feel, um, you know, because their father was, you know, a, an NFL star and currently works for the star. But what do you see as your role in the sports experience for your own children um, that are playing sports? And what are tips that you would provide to other sports parents out there to make sports an enjoyable Enjoyable experience for their kids
1: well, my role first is a parent for uh first and foremost you know my my position here is a is a byproduct. I think it starts at home, and when people look at me, the first thing I would say I would ask my questions is what are you doing at home? What is your relationship like at home um, with your spouse uh with your daughters? I have two daughters, and I have three boys, so I think those things begin at home. And then I think our lifestyle that we have at home, it, it transitions or transfers over to what we do in in everyday life. So I would, you know, one advice I would give to a, a parent is everything starts at home. And having tough conversations about whether it's respect, uh, whether it's character, uh, whether you're talking about race relationships, I think all of those things begin at home, healthy conversation, respectful conversation at home. And then you can take that to, I would say, you know, outside of your your doorstep and beyond.
0: So with your, you know, your kids, you were able to talk, and, and you talked earlier about, um, you know, the sports field that that can provide for a lot of great conversation starters. It's a great platform to talk about bigger issues there, but unfortunately, there are a lot of statistics you know, about the decline of participation in all youth sports. And uh you you talked about there's so many other options right now for kids. But, um, you know, football is included in that. They're, they're, the de- participation numbers are declining there. Obviously a lot of concerns about the safety of football. Where do you see youth football going over the next five to seven years? Do you think the game is in trouble, or do you think there are things that, you know, the NFL, USA football, can do to keep kids playing and, and educating parents on – how safe the
1: game is, those types of things? And our game is better. It's safer today than it's ever been. Um, as we continue to invest in science and learn, um, I think today our game is in better shape than, than what it's ever been in. Uh, I, I'm not con, uh, concerned. I think football has um, the opportunity to continue to grow at the youth level as we expand flag and we look at how 707 is taking off, something that we talk about every day. I think having partners like USA Football, You know, having partners um, such as the Positive Coaching Alliance, it allows us to, uh, frankly, share our stories about how football impacts communities, not just those that are participating, uh, but those administrators, those coaches. But football is healthy. When you look at youth football, you look at high school football, Friday Night Lights, you look at Saturday, uh, the the, the people who are galvanized across the country on Saturday afternoon on our college campuses – you look at the people who are attracted on a Sunday afternoon after after church, and you're looking at the 1 o'clock games, the 4 o'clock games, and the Sunday night games, and then Monday. Football is healthy as it's ever been. Um, but, again, the, 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 the resources, our partners, we're committed to a better and safer game.
0: Do you see something where down the line, you know, there's going to be changes where um, – you know, flag football is going to continue to grow and there will be less hitting as kids are younger and and they're going to wait until, you know, they get to high school to start hitting or, you know, is that something that you think will improve?
1: Well, frankly, that's a parent's choice. And I, I I don't give my personal opinion because that is a family decision on when your child should play. You know, there's been research, people talk about it. Ultimately, I think that's a parent's choice and a comfort level. With the, both the parent and the child, um, but um, if a parent uh, if a parent thinks and a child agrees that he's ready or she's ready to either play flag or tackle, uh, I think that's a family and a uh, a family decision in a parent parent and child uh, discussion.
0: So being a quarterback, you need to, uh, you know, be able to react quickly. So I just want to end the, the interview here with a quick, a few quick hitter questions so you can just answer real quick first thing that comes to your mind. Um, what's your favorite sport to watch other than football and why?
1: Uh, basketball and the, I would say, the NBA playoffs and in particular the NBA finals I think is exciting. I think we see the best of the best. Best
0: piece of advice that you've ever received?
1: Remain humble.
0: Great. And then the last question here to wrap up, what piece of advice would you give to a high school student athlete that was looking to play a sport in college?
1: I would. you got to focus on the ac- your academic achievement and develop your craft at your position. Academic achievement and develop, develop the craft of your position. The one thing that we see that is the skill level at certain positions. It's declining because the focus isn't on skill development.
0: Great. Well, Troy Vincent, NFL's Executive Vice President for Football Operations, thanks so much for joining us today on PCA's One-on-One Podcast. And we appreciate the support of the league as a partner of of Positive Coaching Alliance and and really appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit positivecoach.org to download more podcasts.